Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. This is part two. I was so excited this morning. Uh, I shared at the morning breakfast meeting, I realized some of you weren't there and some are on live stream. I got family members in California that are listening as well. I want to um, share with you, there was a, Lisa and Doug Henry sent me a, an email or a, a, basically a, a part of a teaching done by Sid Roth and Rabbi Felix that was last week. And uh, it's amazing. I've sent it around to some, but you can go on, just go on Sid Roth. And uh, this was so confirming. Several months ago, we've been praying into this. God, are we supposed to put the tent up where? This is the first time since 2012 that the tent, Neil's had the tent up. We've had another tent up in other places. But um, this was the first time on church property, church grounds. So there's something new in this season. So I was excited several months ago. I said, Lord, what are we going to do to prepare the body for what's coming? We're going to do the Sunday morning breakfasts and We're also going to do Wednesday night discipleship training called Prepare for Rain. So this morning on Sid Roth, as I'm listening, I didn't get to see it earlier this week, this rabbi says, you need to prepare for rain. (laughs) The rain is coming. The rain is falling. And then he gave several examples. So the last four Wednesday nights, we've gone, what is the... What does a spirit-filled church look like? What are the core values of a spirit-filled church? What is the discipleship? And then Wednesday night, we had an impartation on the Holy Spirit. And it was wonderful. It was powerful. I handed out a little flyer, a handout. If you haven't listened, go online on Wednesday. You need to be able, as a church body, every individual here, learn the several scriptures, only about a half a dozen of them, that you can tell a denominational church or an unbeliever why they need the Holy Spirit, biblically. Biblically, and I just put a little cheat sheet together that says these are the scriptures, and then these are the arguments that the denominational churches will tell you there is no Holy Spirit need today. That cessationism is here. The the healing stopped. The gifts when the apostles died. That is untrue. Biblically, it's untrue. And so we covered that Wednesday. Well, here's what the rabbi said: You need to prepare for rain. If you remember a sermon I shared, he says you need to take your position or posture yourself. There was a teaching several weeks back that said, position yourself, right? Because there are hot spots right now where Jesus is coming. In fact, CBN reported this week from Kiev in the Ukraine, for the first time, 250,000 people came out in the public square because they were given permission to be a witness. Things are opening up, and there's a large Jewish population. Of course, in the Holocaust, he tried to destroy them. Satan did, but that didn't work. This is the Jewish year. He also shared, this is 5782 in the Jewish calendar. And guess what it means? The year of the lion's roar. Where praise and worship, I love that, prophetically. See how the Holy Spirit is just like, praise and worship, signs and wonders will set people free. Come on, the whole theme this morning was on freedom coming. Well, what are the actions that we should take? Well, one, you should declare healing. You should pray for declaration of healing and restoration for your family. You should ask for a new infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's what the rabbi said. So those who are aware Wednesday, you got it, right? Praise God. You can get it. So praise God. And then he said, be a bold witness. Because once you get the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, stay until the Father sends the gift Acts 1.8, he says, because you'll become a witness with power, right? Amen. It's also a Shemitah year. That means that it's one of the seven years. It's a sabbatical rest year. So this is all of these things. And now listen what the numbers mean. In the Hebrew language, they do it backwards. But this year, 5782, two means God is strength in the house. The house is tabernacling. This tabernacle, Holy Spirit tabernacle, right? Eight means living water, also completes the, it's that completion, new beginnings, a new life of living water. Seven is perfection, the multiplier, being built and intensified on grace. And five is the revelation of God. The revel- so you put it all together. The revelation of God is multiplying the living water and new life and the strength in the house, right? Come on. So this is going to be a really awesome year, right? There's a new infusion of God's grace And we ought to get excited. This is not a time to be sitting home watching Netflix. Hello. Come on. 
Get out, get in your Bible, get in your Word, study, study, come on, be part of it. There's something that's about to happen. All right, pull out your handouts, part two of the Feasts of the Lord. Last, how many um, were here last week? Got part, okay, good majority, praise the Lord, good. I don't want to have to retract too much ground, but I want to, let me ask you some questions. It's always good to know what you believe and who you are. So this is a true or false question. Are you an evangelical, charismatic Christian? Okay. For those who weren't sure, because I could hear about heavy, they're like, oh, it sounds like big words, right? Well, charismatic, you know what that, charisma, right? The charisms, it means you're spirit-filled and you're rock, you're desiring the gifts of the spirit. You're excited, you're charismatic, you're, yes, the Holy Spirit comes, right? Well, what's an evangelical Christian? If you believe these four points, that's you. One, you must be born again, a Jesus conversion experience, check. If you're not, come see me after, or someone here. Two, Jesus' death on the cross is the atonement for all of my sin, took away my sin. That's two. Number three, the Bible is the ultimate authority. You have a dumber teaching these days. Number four, this is the truth, right? It's not just a bunch of stories like some are teaching these days. Number four, Christians should be actively witnessing and sharing their faith in the Great Commission. So if that's you, you're an evangelical Christian, right? Born again experience, Jesus' death is my salvation from my sin. The Bible is the ultimate authority. I have a biblical worldview, and I need to be actively witnessing. There's an even So, all right, we shared last week that there's this false demonic teaching that's been around. It's actually relatively new as far as church age goes. What is replacement theology? Who wants to take a stab at that? What is it? Right, that the church has replaced Israel. There's a new dressed up, there's a new dressed up part of that. They're saying, well, that's fulfillment theology. Sounds better than replacement. All of it is, that is no good. It's a, it's a demonic teaching. That's where the things have originated from the anti-Semitic spirit that is active right now. Again, it's emerging in Europe. It's actually in our Congress. We have active anti-Semitics that are in our Congress, which is a real threat to our government and our future as a, as a nation. So what is this? It's the what the church fathers have said in the past that are off base, which is a false doctrinal teaching is because of Israel's disobedience in the past, the church has completely and permanently replaced Israel in God's covenant. That is not true. And I read to you several scriptures last week. We read Romans 9, 10. We're going to pick up in Romans 11 here in a moment. That'll completely, I think, settle this if you're a believer in this. If you believe the word, then you'll see that. So, we are not replacement theologists, and these denominations right now that are boycotting Israel, the whole BDS movement, if you heard any of that, it's like, don't buy anything from Israel, let's bankrupt them. It's the same spirit, it's the same anti-Semitic spirit, and there are whole denominations that have embraced this, and it is to their destruction. You can see their membership dying, Right? They're the same ones that are embracing some of this other crazy stuff that's coming out that we've talked about. It is the same spirit that Paul warned about in 2 Timothy 4.1, that there will be those that will give to teachings of doctrines of demons in the last days. We read that last week. It's the same spirit that is behind what the Iranian mullahs right now are professing. The Iranian mullahs, they're believing, this is wild, they're believing their, their doctrinal belief, this is why it's very scary. It's different than the Cold War with the Russians or the Chinese who don't want to destroy each other. But a chaotic, and believe this, that the 12th imam, they have to create a chaotic environment like a nuclear destruction and a nuclear war so that Allah can come and take over. They are in pursuit of this weapon. That's why Israel says, we're not going silently about this. So... We need to be praying, but it's the same anti-Semitic spirit that has given rise. That's why we can see these false doctrines rising, giving grounds to this doctrine. And you need to realize, we don't believe that at all. In fact, you'll be held accountable for how you handle this and who you vote for. All right, I'll leave it there. 
Some people get angry when I get political, but I don't know any other way to do it if you look at our history in the United States. Okay, are you there? Turn with me to page one of the Feast of the Lord. We read last week in Leviticus 23. I read them for you, but let's just turn there so you see them. In Leviticus 23, I'll just summarize the seven feasts of the Lord. You'll say, why do we need to know these, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to share with you why. The appointed times, the feasts of the Lord. The first one is Passover, and then the festival of unleavened bread. I'll, I'll unpack these in a bit. This, the first fruits harvest, that festival of harvest, Pentecost, or festival of weeks. Then there's the festival of the trumpets. So we see the Day of Atonement and then the Festival of Shelters. So if you look at your handout, let's quickly run through the first page because we did it last week. So I want to get to the second part of this. First of all, God instituted these seven holidays. In Leviticus, he calls them the appointed times, translated feasts or appointed times. God himself orchestrates the sequence of these. You might say, well, why is that important? Because each part is part of the whole plan of what he wants. The feasts are called holy convocations or times of meeting. That's why we're going to do the tent of meeting. It's a time to come and go into the tent of meeting. We're going to meet with the Lord there in that place. And so these appointed times carry with them great sacredness and solemnity. These feasts were given to the Hebrew nation, his covenant people. But we as Christians, we're going to look at this in Romans 11 in a moment. These seven feasts relate to Israel's spring and agricultural fall seasons, and they remain even today. The timing of these feasts are based on the Jewish lunar calendar of 354 days per year. Seven times in 19 years, every 19 years, this modern-day calendar has a 13-month added, so that it catches up. So it's different than the Gregorian calendar, if you're wondering why they don't match, right? These seven feasts, this is really important, number eight. These seven feasts coincide with major events of kingdom significance, establishment of the kingdom, going to the cross at Passover, and they climax at the establishment of the kingdom in the second coming in tabernacles, where he tabernacles with his people. All humanity has been invited to be part, to receive the blessing, and we've been grafted in. Seven is the biblical number of perfection completion. Four of these feasts have already fulfilled the prophetic revelation of Jesus' first coming, exactly to the day. So when he lines up for exactly to the day of these, these feasts, you can expect that the remaining three are going to exactly, that's why you don't want to be somewhere else not being in the tent when we come in tabernacles, right? If he comes back, if he blows the trumpet, and you're watching some Netflix thing, you know, I'm not saying you won't go to be with Jesus, but you might stay here. For those who believe that the post-tribulation, you, you may be there. That's just a thought. All right, four of the feasts have already come. These, the next three are soon to be fulfilled. Now, you might want to jot these down because when you hear them, you'll hear different names associated with them. And so I've listed the seven that are usually listed. But Passover means Pesach, P-E-S-A-C-H. Unleavened bread, you know the matzah, right? The matzah, that's the unleavened bread. It doesn't have any preservatives. First fruits actually means a measure or your first fruits. And sephirat ha-omar is how they say it. Feast of weeks, shavot, S-H-A-V-O-V-U-O-T. And then trumpets, you'll often hear them call it Rosh Hashanah, right? It's the Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets. The Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. And then the Feast of Tabernacle, or Booths, is Sukkot. S-U, I'm sorry, S-U-K-K-O-T, Sukkot. So we're going to unpack these. Say, Pastor, um, what motion the prophetic fulfillment? Well, if they're the appointed times that have set in motion the prophetic fulfillment, and you'll start to see, let's just take this one for example. You know that Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? But in history, the reflection of that was when they were in slavery, enslaved, and if you want to think of being enslaved to your own sin, during that time of slavery, he sends a Messiah. He sends in a type of Messiah. He, says he's, he raises up Moses, right, who's on the backside of the desert, 
trained by Pharaoh, but then runs off after he kills a, 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 another Egyptian. God works with him, shows up. God sends him back. What happens? When he says, let my people go, let my, my people are going to go. My people are going to get free. Just think of this about Jesus. My people are going to get free. So what I want you to do now is a, as a reflection of that, I want you to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost because the angel of death is going to come visit those who don't know me or those who are disobedient, who are not in the house. When they're not under the cover of the blood, they're out of the house, right? And I'm coming, and I want you to see that as a reflection. So Passover, when Jesus says, all this time, perfectly aligned, when he was born, how many years was he there? And then he says, I've longed to have this Passover meal with you. And then he sends two disciples, go into town. You'll find a room all set up where I've longed to have this meal with you. And he says, now I am the bread of life. And he breaks the bread, right? And he opens the cup. He takes the cup. This is the blood of a new covenant. I've longed to have this covering over you. And he sheds the blood. And it's that, that's the Passover. Do you see the reflection? Just exactly from all of the times of thousands of years, God set that in motion. And we see the Passover lamb. These other feasts are exactly the same. You ought to get excited because when we start to see these things start to be fulfilled, you'd almost have to be brain dead not to understand what he's doing. And it is so close. I mean, everything is fulfilled at this point. There is, I don't believe, anything holding back the next steps of what could come. So let's turn in Romans. Those who say, well, you know, the church is replaced. I, when I was in Bible college, I had arguments. This is, I don't know how you read this and you can't. The only way they can do this is, well, this is a bunch of stories. They're, they're good examples of some nice things. No, it's not. It is the word of God, right? We looked at that in 2 Timothy 3.16. Memorize that verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, about the word of God. Turn now. We looked at Romans 9 last week, read it. We read in Romans 10. I want to pick up in Romans 11. This will debunk the heresy about the replacement. Now, you know who Paul was. Sends him to the Gentiles. And he sends the fishermen untrained to the Jews. Because he goes, I got to get all your religion out of the way. I got to blow your religion up. And you know, you think you know everything in your bag of chips, Paul. No, you're not. I'm sending you to Gentiles who don't know anything. And so, and I love what he does then. He goes, then he's, Peter's there. He's like, wow, we're not supposed to eat this stuff. And he drops the whole thing, killing eat. He's like, wow. And the Gentiles come in. Now look at this. Here you are. Are you there? Romans 11, verse 1. I'm going to look at King James and New Living. I have a word-for-word translation in the King James. I also have the New Living thought for thought. I'm going to start with the thought for thought. It's titled, God's Mercy on Israel. Oh, wait, wait. I thought they were disobeying the laws. What? Okay. Verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. Exclamation. I myself and an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah, the prophet, complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who never bowed down to Baal. It is the same today. For a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness that it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be really as it is, free and undeserved. So this is a situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found favor of God they are looking for through so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. And as the scriptures say, God has not, God has put them in a deep sleep. To this day, he shut their eyes so they can't see, and he closed their ears so they can't hear. Likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare. Watch out, there's America. Watch out when you become fat, you don't forget your God, right? He says that. There, let your bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. 
Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see. And let their backs be bent forever. Thank you, David. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. Exclamation tiles. Aren't you glad? Disobedience. So God made salvation available to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad? But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. Verse 13, I'm saying all this especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles, and I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is made because of that portion which his offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, they've been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from the wild olive tree. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're wild. Some of you, some of you really are. You know I mean? I've, seen, I've seen you. You were wild and have been grafted in, so now you also receive a blessing that God has promised Abraham, his children, sharing the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Verse 18, now this is the warning. You must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch. You're not a root. Well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are the because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He's severe to those who disobeyed, but kind to you to continue. And if you people of Israel turn from the unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them in back into the tree. You by nature were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. Now here's a really important piece because I believe Neil mentioned this. I believe there's a Gentile clock. Just like, you ever watch the, the debt clock that's scary? <laughs> like, how much debt are we going into as a nation? Well, there's, I believe there's this Gentile clock. <laughs> and as soon as the same number, the exact number that he's got in his mind, the exact number of Gentiles comes in, man, it is going to rapidly. Why do I say that? Let's look at this. Verse 25. I want you to understand this mystery. Dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves, some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so, all Israel will be saved. King James says it this way, don't be conceited in the blindness in part happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The ones who rescue will come from Jerusalem. He will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. Verse 28. Many of the people of Israel now are enemies of the good news. We've seen that when we've been there. And this, this benefits you Gentiles. Yet 
They are still the people who, love, who he loves because he chose their ancestor Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gift and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against, them, against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now, they are rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the, the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. I don't know how you read that and say, well, he's, God's done with Israel. Now, a lot of these characters who dream this stuff up, this is before 1948. This is before 1967, right? When, when the Jews got Jerusalem back in the Six-Day War, or the 1948 when Harry S. Truman acknowledged them, right? When Zion was born, when those like Herschel were back there in the, back in the late 1800s saying, we're going to one day be in Israel. We're going to be one day in Israel. We're going to be one day in Israel. This is Jerusalem as the viable capital and gives them lands like the Golan Heights, strategically. Come on. You wonder why our nation was blessed only a couple of years back? How do you like it now? Lord, pray. Pray for this, pray for this administration. Pray like your, your future depends on it, because it does. Now, I know we're under the cover of the blood of Jesus, and I believe we're, we're going to be out of here soon. My thoughts, some of you think you're mid-trivers. Some of you are post-trippers. I'll send you a note from heaven. It's really wonderful up here. I can, I can fight your scriptures. I know some of you say, I don't believe in that. Okay, but this is one of those hills we'll bleed on. We won't die on, right? Well, you'll be there, but I might get there first. But hey, Lord, I'm just messing, Lord. Forgive me. I'm not trying to be prideful. Okay, let's, let's talk about the one new man. Let's cement this further. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2, the one new man. In Ephesians chapter 2. And let's pick up and begin in verse 11. Ephesians 2. Wherefore, remember, King James, New Living says, Ephesians 2.11, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders and you were called the uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jew and Gentile into one people when he, with his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility and separate, that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles creating in himself one new people from the two groups. This is the one new man. King James talks about he has now made himself one new man out of both Jew and Gentile. So as far as he sees this kingdom, he sees this now, the wild and the grafted-in ones that have been wild are now part of the whole family tree. You ever see the family trees? There's one family tree rooted in Jesus, Right? He talks about, don't you be prideful and arrogant. Pray for them. Pray for us. So he says, look, you now I've made one. One new people, he's made this peace. goes on, it says, that you become the temple of the Lord. So now, in verse 19, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens among all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are being made part of the dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. Come on. One new man. Hallelujah. Let's keep reading. In Ephesians 3, just 1 through 6, it says, Ephesians 3, 1. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me this special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insights into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it in previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is his plan. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews believe the good news and share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promises of the blessings. This is the Abrahamic blessing. This is the Abrahamic covenant he talks about in Galatians 3. You are the children, and your daddy is really, really rich, right? Remember when Jesus meets him on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Abraham and Moses, they're there, right? He goes, he's not a God of the dead. He's the God of the living, right? Come on. All right, so there, this ought to dispel all this craziness that we celebrate with our Jewish family. We're one family. Now they, hey, they, the family has spats. They have disagreements. You show me a family that doesn't. Wow, okay. Don't let that become a disunifier. Just, hey, we can agree to disagree. Let's agree on the main things. And once they come, if you read Zechariah, I've had the, the discipleship class read Zechariah, when he says, then one day they will look out the one that to whom they have pierced, as if he was the son of an only son. You can read it. Look at Zechariah 10, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. This prophet years, hundreds of years before prophesied what is going to take place very, very soon. When they say, because I've met with some of our Jewish guys there, one of our tour guides, I won't mention his name, and I said, I asked him, I said, uh, so are you a believer? He says, you can't, you can't ask me that, because they... You don't want to ask, you don't want to answer it. But he goes, so you believe he already came? I said, yeah, he came. You believe he's coming. It's not too far off. One day you'll see we were right, right? And you'll understand too. And so that family, we can agree to disagree on the timing, but they don't disagree on who Messiah will be. He is going to be Messiah. Okay, so the new covenant we're not trying to become Jewish by looking at those around. Well, you got to celebrate on this day. you got to celebrate on that day. Um, you, you, if you don't do it on this day. Now, look, we have over 49,000 believers in, in Nepal. And they're adding churches. They celebrate Saturday. And I didn't go in there now as Papa was, oh, you got to ship back to Sunday. No, you know what? Let me tell you why. You might ask, well, how come people... Require us. To, this is a new covenant. If you want to write this down, Hebrews 8.13 says, the old covenant is obsolete. Those are literal words. They're out of date and soon disappears. So we're not going back under Jewish custom. We're not coming back under the law. Because he, Paul told us, Paul himself, in Galatians says, who has bewitched you? Who's putting you back under witchcraft to go do the things that Christ has set you free from? That's very strong language, Right? We're not going back there, but we can celebrate if those are the feasts of the Lord, the appointed times, and we realize your timetable is tied to these, why don't we recognize repentance during the times of the days of awe? Why don't we recognize that the trumpet is going to blast and the dead in Christ are going to be raised? Why don't we understand that the shelters are coming and he's going to tabernacle with us in that place? These are the, so, okay. So he said, well, pastor, I believe certain days are this way. Okay. Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, just to dispel any other stuff that might get in our way. Colossians chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 6. Colossians 2, 6. It's labeled freedom from rules and new life in Christ. I like that title. Freedom from the... Now, 
there are certain rules that are good rules, <laughs> right? You obey the traffic laws so you don't get run over or smashed, right? So there are some good rules. But let's pick this up. Colossians 2, 6. And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in truth and you will be taught and you'll overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. That's pretty strong. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were... You were circumcised, but not of a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. There's the water baptism. And with the, you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. I love that. I underline all. And he took away this. He canceled the record. Come on. Somebody ought to get happy here. He canceled the record of the charges against you, and he took it away by nailing it on the cross. You ought to see all your sin stuff nailed to the cross. We've done that exercise before we do a breaking free. Oftentimes, we take all of our rebellion and sin, and we take it, and we nail it on the cross, and then we take communion as a symbol of what he did. He canceled the record, nailed it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the rulers and authorities over your life and mine. He shamed them publicly by victory on the cross. Verse 16, important verse. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moons or ceremonies of, on Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality of what is to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial, worship of angels. This is a warning. This people starting to worship angels. You do not worship angels. John did not. He said, wait, whoa, whoa, don't worship me. When he, remember on the Mount, uh, Mount of, uh, where did he go, Malta? They bowed down. These must be, no, no, I'm a human. Don't you do that. You can call for angels. Don't you be worshiping them. They are created beings to assist the redeemed, Hebrews 1. And they had visions about things. These sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with joints and ligaments, and it grows. God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he set you from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help conquering a person's evil desires. That's why you got to have the Holy Spirit. Now, we're about ready to declare fast because Jesus said that my Lord, so we're going to do a 25-hour fast starting this Wednesday. All right, 7 o'clock Wednesday night, I'd like you to join in. This is in preparation. This is a cleansing. You, whatever fast you ask the Holy Spirit to give you, right? And then we'll stop at 8 o'clock the next night. We'll join in as part of the, what is part of the feast times is, that we're doing. So let me give you one more. Turn with me to Romans 14.5. Romans 14.5. I just want to, we're not trying to become Jewish and we... There's a freedom. We don't need to have a stumbling block. Now, if you believe a certain day is holy, I, I believe the word says, let every day be holy, right? So, all right. Romans, it says in Romans 14, 5. Let's look there. It says, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable, 
Those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord. So give thanks to the Lord before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also please the Lord and give thanks. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. So don't condemn another believer. This is the whole thing about stumbling blocks. Don't become a stumbling block. Remember what Paul said? He said, if I... If this is going to cause somebody to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. I won't do this again. This is a place where um, you need to ask the Lord. In your freedom, you can become a stumbling block. You can become religious in your freedom. We're allowed to do this. Well, be careful. One example, when I was asked to preach in Tanzania, I went into a very... uh, denominational church and this is the first time I've ever had to wear a robe and I wear a robe and I didn't know anything about genuflecting I didn't know about incense things and I turned to the pastor who invited us in he actually he was uh, told to invite me in (laughs) and uh, I said I don't know anything about this he goes just follow me so I did now my guys that were there on part of the mission trips when I came out with the robe they just about lost it they really did. In fact, they, yes. they got yes. really funny about it and uh, actually bought me a robe and, you know, it was all that crazy. And so, um, but I repented. I said, wait a second. I was invited in to speak. And you know what? It was really amazing. We went back the second year to that. I preached a message on the Holy Spirit and baptism of power. And God showed up in that church. It grew tremendously. I came back the next year. That pastor wasn't there anymore. I don't know. I didn't ask. But I didn't have to wear a robe the second time. And not, so, but my point is, don't be critical. If Remember, just because you now understand that the Holy Spirit, I was back there 25 years ago in my denominationalism, not understanding any of this. Don't be critical of God's wife. Be critical of my wife. I might lay hands on you. Right? So watch out. Just because you may have a, a revelation. So we just, we want to be... Um, we're not going to compromise, but at the same time, meet people where they're at and love them. You'll be known by your love, not by your critical spirit, right? So, okay. And man, I'm, I've had to repent of that many times myself, right? Thinking we know everything. Okay. Page two. Are you there? We're making progress. Everybody okay? All right. All right. I want us to take this apart now. I want to look at the first four that have been fulfilled. They were fulfilled exactly in Jesus's first coming. I talked to you about the Passover. That speaks of redemption. The Messiah, the Passover lamb that was slain for us. We covered that. Now, the unleavened bread, this speaks of sanctification, set apart. Remember where it says his body would not decay in the grave. The song writes that. And we know that Jesus, he was there in the tomb And he was resurrected on the third day. So this speaks of the unleavened bread. This is the sanctification. It is by the broken body. It was by his death that we have been redeemed. He's also the first fruits. When you look at the first fruit feast, it says he's the first fruit of many. When he was resurrected, can you you imagine for me for a minute? I mean, there's this whole thing I don't know about. The Shroud of Turin is all this controversy about it. But we do know that Jesus' body, I've, I've been in the place where they, I've been inside the tomb, and many of you have, right? You've walked in the tomb, the, the, the rich man's tomb there, right in the Garden of Gethsemane. You got Golgotha off, and then right there makes sense that it would be close by because the Passover was coming. They, could, they had to have a dead body off the cross and in the grave. So we saw where they, they take and put him in the rich man's grave, and they wrap him with the, with the grave cloth. Can you imagine... When the father said, live, boom. There must be some prophetic significance to that. Boom, live, right? Everything gets undone when he lives, right? But can you imagine with me for a moment that when when he lived, he says the shroud of Turin exploded, right? With, thank you, dear. Take care of me. Thank you. Can you imagine... The, the power source of that moment when Jesus came, that resurrected body, that decay that would not, it, would, it could not decay. It had, to have, it had to be this unleavened sacrifice. At that moment, there was an amazing transformation of a resurrected body from that which was the human that had to, be, had to die. 
Can you just, just go with me there for a minute? It's like, what just happened? And that's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye as we look at what happens to us, right? It's like, whoa. So we see that he's the first fruit of many. The Feast of Weeks, what is that? This is where Pentecost, we know from Acts chapter 2, again, all fulfilled exactly the number of days. Jesus, between the, the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus showed himself to the disciples and proved to them, right? Acts chapter 1, covered this Monday, uh, Wednesday night. Acts chapter 1, proved to them in many ways and spoke to them about the kingdom. He proved it. I'm alive. Now, this resurrected body can walk through walls, but it can eat. It's like, wow, what, what, what is like, can you imagine these guys like doubting Thomas, like trying to, they're, they're, both, they're both happy and like confused at the same moment. This is that place. But then they realized, why are you looking up? The same way he went up, he's coming down. He's going to touch the ground on Mount of Olives, and there is going to be a shaking and a rattling, and all those who know him are going to celebrate that day, and all those that don't know him, ooh, man. Okay. We see that those first four were completely filled. Look at that last paragraph there above the fall, of the, the fall feast. It says, each major event of the Messiah's first coming occurred on the precise date of the appropriate Jewish holiday. Each of these three major events to be associated with his second coming will likewise fall on the appropriate, I believe, Jewish holiday. Those three feasts, the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles, unerringly point to the rapture of the church, and that should say, and judgment of the wicked, the salvation of Israel, and the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. His blood has set about ready to enter into. The Feast of Trumpets, called Rosh Hashanah, means head of the year or the start of the civil year. The Feast of Trumpets is so important, it stands alongside Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the High Holy Days. So get a picture of this. There's this place every year where the Jews are supposed to reflect on where are you missing the mark? Where are you not in a righteous place? That's a really good place for us to, we should do it probably every day. We take communion every week in our intercessory prayer. There's a place, you can do it at home, but there's a place where 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. So there's this place of, Lord, show me, what, what did, uh, Lord, show me my heart. David said, show me if there be any wicked thing in me. This is a really good place in this place of revelation. That's why during the fast this week, Lord, show me if there's anything that is not pleasing to you. Now, you, you, some of you know right away. I mean, Brenton said it this morning at, at our meeting. You know when you're off. When you've tasted and seen and you're walking in fellowship with the Lord, it's like, whoo I feel really good. And then you kind of crack a door, start thinking wrong, get angry, offense, keep, carry your offense and justify your offense, start gossiping. What happens? You start to get out of way. You get out of and then it's like, Man, and then if you let that, I've seen this happen too often with people that are no longer serving the Lord. Once ordained ministers, no longer serving, you crack that door a little bit, and that, that leaven starts to work. That's why he said in Ephesians, don't let the sun go down on your offense, because you'll have a stronghold to the devil. You'll give him a foothold, and when he gets a foot, he'll take a yard. And then when that thing starts, you'll end up in a place you never thought you'd end up in. So that's a warning to all of us. He's, he wants us to be in fellowship with him, but to be in that safe place. All right. So with Rosh Hashanah, this is the time, number two. The time interval, this is big. The time interval between the spring feasts and the fall feasts correspond to this present age. This is where we are. This is where we are as a, as a globe. We're in that place of in-between. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost began the church age. We've been in the church age, but I believe we're about ready to enter the kingdom age. We're, we're about ready to make a shift. A lot of the people are talking about the new season, right? Many believe, this is number four. I know some of you are, I'm just messing with you. Some of you believe that trumpets will signal the Messiah's second coming and the rapture of the church. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4.16. A familiar scripture for those who believe in the rapture. 
1 Thessalonians 4 in verse 16. Let me begin in 13. It's called the hope of the resurrection. It's interesting. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. See, we have this hope in us. Isn't that awesome? For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who died. Verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down with the, from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. There's this place of, oh, this is a side issue, but let me tell, turn, turn with me to Revelation 3 just to give you another encouraging scripture about God keeping us from the mess. Right now, we're in a mess, right? He said to be tribulation in the earth, but it's going to get messier. And based on what I've read in Revelation, we don't want to be here. There's no mention of the church from after Revelation 3 till Revelation 19. That ought to tell you something. But just a thought. Okay, Revelation 3, to 10, verse 10. This is to the church at Philadelphia who have the key of David. Let me look, look at verse... This is uh, verse 7. Write this to the angel of the church at Philadelphia. This message is from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do and have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you've obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. Woohoo! Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they're Jews, but they're not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. This one is really powerful. Verse 10, because you have obeyed my commands to persevere. Can you persevere through this mess? If you will, if you will obey, remember, those who love me do what I say. How many times do you say that in John 14? If you love me, those who don't love me, they don't do what I say. Obedient, love is proven by obedience, right? And it, it's, it's, anyway, he says, those who have persevered and kept my commands, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Okay, so I mean, that's, I'm going to keep you out of the, let me read King James. Verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell on the earth. So I believe there's something very powerful about the ark of Jesus, the sheltered place of the Most High. All right, back to one new man, bottom page 2, Ephesians 2 and Galatians. Now, I want you to see the correlation between the feasts and we in the Christian church, how we have adopted in these very important tenets, the Feast of Passover. We've covered that pretty clearly. The Messiah's death, clearly a provision that goes way beyond Israel. Number two, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was given to Israel, but depicts the Lord's body would not decay in the grave. Again, another crucial church doctrine. Number three, the Feast of the First Fruits was given to Israel, however, it depicts the Lord's triumphant resurrection. It is because he lives that believers will also live. The Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, was given to Israel but depicts the birth of the church through the new covenant. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles become one in Messiah. That's the one new man. Abrahamic covenant. Remember he said those who bless us will be blessed, Genesis 12. Was made with the father of the Jewish nation, but it is the source of wellspring of every blessing the church possesses, Galatians 3.29. The Davidic Covenant, 2 Samuel 7, 
was made with Israel's king, but it is the basis of the Messiah's return as the son of David and the lion of the tribe of Judah. I love this. This is the year of the lion's roar. What does that look like? The devil, they believe there's going to be such a breaking off of demonic strongholds and exposing a lot of stuff. It's awesome. So this covenant, the lion of the tribe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, number seven, the new covenant was made with Israel. Jeremiah, Matthew 26, but the church has entered into the provision of that salvation. Turn the page. Number eight, the Lord's table was initiated with elements of the Jewish Passover, the table of, with Jewish disciples, but it's an ordinance of the church today. It's communion. The command of, to evangelize the world was given to 11 Jewish disciples, but we got the Great Commission, commonly known as the Great Commission. Number 10, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. The apostles were Jewish, the prophets were Jewish, and the Savior was Jewish. So we see here in this day of atonement that's coming. Let's read on C. The day of atonement. This occurs nine days after trumpets. So we're, we're, we're at that place. We're in this transitional point where we're going to dwell, we're going to tabernacle with the, with the Lord. I, I just see this, this is a really a perfect storm. If this lockdown garbage keeps going and all this craziness happens, people are going to want to be outside and be in, you know. Lord, help us. Just set it up so that you get all the glory. I want him to be just so famous. Wouldn't you love to see Wilmington and southeastern North Carolina be famous for Jesus? It's like, we got, we got to go there. There's something going on there. And there are people moving here. Some of you have moved here because Jesus said so, right? And I love that. I've been meeting people. Like, yeah, he told us to come to Wilmington. Not really sure why, but um, wow. The Day of Atonement, nine days after trumpets, C1. Nine days after trumpets, ten days from trumpets through the Day of Atonement is known as the Days of Awe. So it's this Days of Awe. Trumpets, which is Rosh Hashanah, the Days of Awe, Yom Kippur, so these are the last three fulfilling feasts. We see this. Now, number two, you'll see again the parallel here. According to Jewish tradition, three books were opened. I remember a few weeks ago I taught you about the books that are going to get opened? All right. It says here, the Jewish tradition, the books are opened in heaven at the Feast of Trumpets. There's a book of righteousness. You can look at this. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? As a righteous believer, there's the Book of Life. If you are, then he says there's another book. There, the, there's, the, there's the second book, which is the life of the unrighteous. Yipes. That doesn't sound good. That's uh, like the unre- they're the ones maybe in Romans chapter 1. They're the, the ones who've had their consciences seared. They're unbelieving. But then there's another book that is the book of, of this in-betweeners. <laughs> it's this uh, judgment's been delayed. So there's this. Name that's written in the book of unrighteous will not survive the year, but then the man redeemed in between, judgment is delayed from the feast of trumpets to the day of atonement. And during that period of time, he that is given an opportunity to repent before the book is closed and destiny is sealed. This is my thoughts, just mine. You can think about it. I think it's a reasonable assumption. If you look at the parallels here, those who are born again, let's say that tonight there is the rapture of the church the disappearance of the church, come up hither in the twinkling of an eye. And then these characters say, oh, yeah, aliens. You see all this talk about aliens now? we got all this stuff being released by the Department of Defense. And, oh, yeah, yeah, they, they've been snatching away. Whatever the Antichrist wants to do to chapter 3, I will keep. So there's the righteous have been taken out. I just read your Revelation chapter 3. I will keep you from the hour of the judgments poured out, the bowls of wrath that are going to get poured out on the... And, but there's going to be people in that period of time, many Jews, many others, that are going to say, this stuff that Grandma told me, she was right. <laughs> and they get saved. There's that time period in between, that which is the book of life and those who are lost. There's the days of awe. This is horrible. Half the population of the world is destroyed. Nuclear fire out of 2 Peter 3, all the stuff that we read about, it ought to scare the hell out of you. It really should. Come on, it really should. If you read that, it is no way that you, I don't want to be here for that. And why would God punish his children in that? Doesn't make sense to me. I'm just 
just giving you my thoughts. So in that, in that period of time, during that tribulation hour, there will be those that will come to Christ, and their names will get written in the book of life. And that times of all will say, they were right. And then there'll be those that they're unrighteous, and they'll even, they'll even want to die and not be able to die. They'll say they'll, they, they hate God even more. They've received the mark of the beast, and they're not saved. I see the correlation between what the, what the Jewish believers and the, the Jewish custom is here. So we see it. I'll pick up in the middle paragraph under two. If a man is deemed in between, judgment is delayed from the Feast of Trumpets to the Day of Atonement. It is during this period of time he's given an opportunity to repent before the book is closed and destiny is sealed. Some believe the church will be raptured and the Lord's wrath will commence on earth. The outpouring of the Lord's wrath will occupy a relatively brief period of time. At his physical return to the earth, many Jews who survived the Lord's purging on the earth will be saved. The prophet Zechariah wrote against, wrote about this in this way, quote, It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, you will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieves for his firstborn. Boy, does that sound like firstborn, the son of God? Zechariah 12, 9 and 10. And Paul writes this in context of the believing remnant from among the nations of Israel at the end of the age. He wrote, quote, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part is... And so Israel will be saved... As it is written in Romans 11, but it will not only be Israel's day of atonement from among the nations of the world. Many individuals will not, who will not take the mark of the Antichrist. And when the Lord returns on the earth, many will repent of their sins before the book of life is closed forever. Jesus and the Gentiles in mind when he declared the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25 some believe it is this multitude from among the nations, along with the Jews, who will enter the Messianic kingdom still in their mortal bodies as distinct from those who were raptured in the glorified church who now inhabit Jerusalem. Just some thoughts from some Jewish leaders and rabbis about what they actually born-again rabbis as how they look and reconcile. As I know I'm giving you a lot. I'm feeding you with a lot of stuff here. I think we're going to stop here. It's 12. I want us to pick up, we'll finish next week on the Feast of Tabernacles, and we're going to have this place where God is going to tabernacle. We're going to invite the presence of God to tabernacle with us. So let's, let's stand. I know I've given you a lot of information. That's where I gave you a handout. But I'd like you to meditate on this. And um, this week we've got some amazing things set up. Monday night is kingdom men and kingdom women. The kingdom men are in Great room in the admin building. Kingdom women, I believe, are meeting in the uh, school school building, right? And then Wednesday, we have intercessory prayer, but we also, which is at 9 o'clock, we have the tent that's supposed to arrive. So um, we'll, we'll, those who might have a free Wednesday can come and be part of that. Um, and then what else do we have going on? I think that's Wednesday night. We're going to finish... I'm going to finish on discipleship. I've got a handout on the cost of revival. I'm going to go through in detail. We have, many of us have been to Argentina twice uh, to Resistencia. I have met people. I actually had um, a lady who was in the Argentine revival with Tommy Hicks revival, an amazing story of what God can do to a godless nation. And I'm going to share it in detail. But that was a lady, Karina's grandmother, prayed for myself, my wife, Pastor Willie, and, and Pastor Nilsa, and imparted to us when she was an intercessor who was under the Tommy Hicks platform praying in intercession while God was healing and doing miraculous things. But we have to see that there is a cost to revival. If you think it's going to be, it's going to, it gets messy in revivals. And uh, so I want us to come and understand that, that we're going to also share about what God is going to do, I believe, in the next few weeks. So, Lord, we just come before you. Lord, we're excited to be alive in this season for some amazing plan. You, this is, this is, you have us alive now. It's not some circumstantial thing. This is, 
It says every day is recorded in your book. <laughs> so every person here, God decided you would be alive right now. So, Lord, I thank you that you got a good plan. We want to cooperate with our free will. Praying in our free will belongs to you, God. Show us divine appointments this week. As Neil was offering, make sure you ask for divine appointments this week and then be bold. And, Lord, I ask you now your blessing on everyone here. Jesus' name. I'll invite the ministry team. If you need any additional prayer, please come. Come. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being with us.